When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's good, everybody? You are listening to the Davy Jones Locker Room Podcast Beneath the Frozen Sea. My name is Sky, and I'm here to bring you through the best and worst of the Seattle Kraken over the last week. This is going to be a shorter episode because there is a game tonight when I record. I usually put these up on Tuesdays. I record on Mondays, and there is a game tonight. But still, plenty to talk about because the Kraken were back at it again in all of the best and worst ways. The Kraken played their first game back from the All-Star break against the Philadelphia Flyers and lost 3-2 on Saturday night. Goal scorers were Jared McCann and Tomasz Tatar. Joey Decord had a 921 save percentage, which doesn't tell you the whole story. You know, being analytically inclined means that I'm more than willing to stare at a spreadsheet and make decisions based on what I thought my eye test showed me. I know that the human eye is often very easy to trick. This disgusting ocular jelly that sits in your head often lies to you and lies to you frequently. I didn't have to do that much for Saturday's game, which is probably not a good thing. It is not a good thing when you open naturalstatric.com and all it says to you is, yep, you were right. Got absolutely killed in the third period. Yep, you betcha. Spent the first 15 minutes of the second period dicking around. Absolutely. Just everything your eyes showed you today was absolutely backed up by math. And that sucks because they played like crap. And it comes from the same self-inflicted injuries. How are the Kraken easier to score on when they have an extra player on the ice? How are you consistently losing enough board battles for that to even be a concern? Further, how are you going into these middle and ending periods where you run out of gas well before the game's over? For the second time this year! How are you still putting your goaltender in a position to have to win you games on their own? Like I said over and over last week that this was supposed to be a barometer. This is the evaluation period. Deadline's coming in three weeks, guys. And so everyone needs to prove, especially with how tenuous their position in the standings really is right now, and it's even more tenuous now that they've lost to a Flyers team without Carter Hart for the foreseeable future. They need to prove that they can be here long-term, that this version of the Seattle Kraken can still compete. I'm not foolish enough to ask for a win. I know that this team has too many problems to ever win a playoff round as it is currently constructed, but I am also more than aware that this team can get there. 
and it's just these self-inflicted injuries. Self-inflicted injuries, losing face-offs, and just being completely unaware of what's going on around you. Forcing your goaltender, who has been very, very good, and I think has well and truly put to bed any idea of there being a goalie controversy as of right now, to make 25, 30 plus saves a night. Having some of the most mercurial transition defense in the game? Come on, guys. I know their shooting percentage is cratered. I know that they are currently struggling team-wide, but I know that they're better than this. And if they're not, that will force Ron Francis to make some changes. I mean, given how poor the shooting has been, I think these changes should come anyway. This is a team that is rapidly going back and forth between being really old and really young. So you're seeing games where they're a step behind and also making rookie mistakes. And that's not a winning formula for success. With the games they have upcoming, they have got some tough challenges, but also some tough challenges with teams that are struggling themselves. Boston and Vancouver, really good teams, but are currently playing like ass coming out of the All-Star break. Islanders, a team that forces you to play low event hockey. Absolutely awful in their own end right now. They're 3-5-1. and one. There is no reason that the Kraken coming out of the break should be the get-right game for all of these teams. You can beat them. I know you can. And if you can't, changes are coming. Which brings us to the foe of the Seattle Kraken tonight, the New Jersey Devils. Uh, hi. I watched tonight's game and got so mad I wanted to completely re-edit this entire section so that I could talk about what the hell just happened. So yeah, the New Jersey Devils just absolutely killed the Seattle Kraken in a 3-1 victory, where the Kraken offense just didn't show. They looked like absolute crap. The passing was bad. The shooting was awful. They were 0 for 3 on the power play, and they they were 0 for 3 on the power play, and 1 for 5 on the penalty kill. They played sloppy, they played undisciplined, they had no shots through the first 13 minutes of the second period. It was an uninspired effort, and it's flatly unacceptable. Oh yeah, and Brian Dumoulin is hurt again. So, good news, they're still piling up bodies. And I'm splitting blame pretty evenly here. The players played like ass, they did not show up, they did not compete, and the coaching staff didn't help them. Matty Beneers did not have a great game. But then he got benched halfway through in a game that they're already down. And they're already down a player. Horrific execution on the power play, rough PK, god-awful discipline, and we are finally starting to see some cracks on Joey Decord here. This player's save percentage is dropping precipitously and looks exhausted. He needs rest. I know you can't trust Philip Grubauer, but you gotta play him anyway, cause he's there. He's the backup. You've got some games on the schedule coming up where you can play him. And if you're concerned about it, guess what? The issue was something you gotta bring up with Ron Francis, cause it's that time of year. Also, let's make it clear, the issue is not in net. It's all the skaters who are doing, doing F and all for nearly 55 minutes of hockey. It's unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. The evaluation period has shown up, and the Kraken have made it abundantly clear they don't have it. That's two points that they desperately needed, and they failed to rise to the occasion. Trade deadlines in three weeks. Ron, start picking up the phone. Disgusted in the way that those players play tonight. Anyway, let's get you back up to speed. The next thing I wanted to talk about was this piece in The Athletic that was written by Shayna Goldman and Dom LeCision. That is how you say that absolute mouthful of a name, by the way. 
And it's specifically about Matty Beneers. Matty Beneers has been having a rough season. That much is for certain. He's not scoring nearly as much as he did last year. He's sometimes fighting it a little more than he probably should. Something that was otherwise so easy for him last year is suddenly quite a bit of a struggle. But all is not lost, according to Shayna Goldman and Dom Lecision. In the article, Shayna and Dom's larger point is that Matty Beneers is slowly becoming one of the best defensive forwards in the game. And it's impressive that he is even in the same category as guys like Sasha Barkov and Sean Couturier at such a young age, especially given what he's asked to do. He has spent a lot of this season in support of his defensemen. Beneers is one of four players in the last 27 seasons in which a player played top six minutes and was also one of the best at retrieving the puck and then leaving the defensive zone. Guys like Mark Stone, Sasha Barkov, and Connor McDavid are his only comparables. This is based on data from Corey Schnatter, who runs the All Three Zones project. And Schnatter actually spoke up after the article was published to note just how rare that is. Quoting Schnatter directly here, Beneers is kind of in his own class with how much of a burden he takes on with starting breakouts. This is usually the last thing that comes around for young players. And he's 21. He got the hard part out of the way. Now, is this still a bit of a disappointing season? Absolutely. An unspoken rule of the Selkie Trophy is that you need to be good at defense while also scoring goals. But it's still so impressive that this kid who is so young and is on another level when it comes to getting the puck out of his own end has taken it upon himself to not just be one of the better puck retrievers in the game as of right now, but also to be so efficient at it to a level that has him favorably compared with players that most would assume are the best in the world. He's probably not in for a Selkie Trophy this year, I think that is sailed. But you know, this is a good foundation for him to build off of. This is a level of responsibility that he is thriving in, even if he is struggling to get shots out. That said, I would like him to pick it up a little bit coming into the second half of the year. Sophomore slumps happen to players, and they will happen to players on teams you like, too. It's just... Man, he is the Seattle Kraken for better or worse. And if he can't get going, what chance do the rest of them have, you know? Still, it's good to know that they can trust him to get them out of their own end. Keep working on it, Matty. Moving on to prospects, the Coachella Valley Firebirds are at long last at the top of the AHL Pacific Division. Knew they could get there, don't know why they took so long to do it. They officially crowned themselves head of the Pacific Division 4 right now after beating the Henderson Silver Knights 4 to nothing. Sounds like it was a very good game down in the valley. As a side note, I really love the highlights from Coachella Valley games because for an AHL team, those games are packed. Like they get a near sellout crowd pretty much every time they're in town. That's good work. Keep up the good work, guys. After all, if you keep this up, you get a first-round buy. It's one of those parts of the AHL that I find a little better than the NHL. Actually rewarding good teams for being good. Anyway, good job to the Firebirds. Good luck against the Barracuda on Thursday. But outside the professional game, that is not the only group of prospects that happens to be having a great time. The young Kraken prospects in junior right now are absolutely dominating the leagues they're in. Obviously, we're gigantic fans of Jagger Ferkus's absolute domination of the WHL. 
He has 91 points in a shocking, absolutely stunning 46 games, which of course leads all forwards in points in the WHL. But he's the one who sticks out. He's the closest one, and he's the one who's had the most success. But right behind him are three absolute maniacs in the OHL right now. Two players in the Kraken prospect system have gone off the chain. Second in goals, Carson Rakoff. That's for all players at that level and in that league with 40 goals in 44 games. Crazy. But David Goyetti, playing for the Sudbury Wolves, is tied for first in the league in points with Anthony Romani, a player who is set to be drafted this year. He has 84 points in 50 games. That's incredible. And even all the way out east in the QMJHL, they've got a player who's doing really well. Andre Loshko, the Belarusian player. He plays for Ruin Naranda in Quebec, and he too is absolutely killing it. Ruin Naranda is real good. They're basically almost locked up to a playoff spot, and he's been a huge part of it. He's got 51 points in 48 games. That's a darn good start. It's probably not as impressive as it could be because the QMJHL is such an offense-first league. I think there's a couple of kids that are scraping up against 100 points right now, and one of them is his teammate, so... Still, he's absolutely killing it. He'll probably be one of those players scraping 100 points by next year. And who knows, given how back and forth those playoff series can be out there, maybe he'll actually pop off once the uh, games start to matter a little more. There are so many players in the prospect system of the Kraken that are doing so well, I don't even, I genuinely don't even know how I can make some omissions. Eddie Saleh has had a rough start, but he's starting to get back into it. Shane Wright, as always, is in a fight with uh, Max McCormick and Coachella for team-leading goals. Oscar Fisker-Molgard, oh my god. The Norwegian kid playing in Sweden right now is probably going to have like 30 points by the end of the season as a 19-year-old in a men's league. Tidy, tidy work done by Seattle Scouts. Well done, boys and girls. And now that we've cleaned up our work on the Kraken, we might as well talk about stuff that's going on in the NHL. As of right now, the big thing is, of course, Riley Grigg and his slapshot empty net goal, which was immediately followed up by Morgan Riley trying to take his damn head off. As for whether or not I think supplemental discipline is going to be given out, uh, yes, it's going to be. And I hope it's something to the tune of like four or five games. In theory, I don't necessarily disagree with the idea that there shouldn't be some kind of response. You know, you're in a tight game and it's a rivalry. Go on ahead, drop the gloves. The game's basically over anyway. You might as well send them home with something to remember. Analytically minded though I am, I do like physical hockey and I do like fights. I accept that it's probably better, that they're more rare, but I like that part of the game. No issue with that. The cross check to the head, on the other hand, that's a bridge too far. For one thing, there's a million other ways to legally show your displeasure with a player. For example, actually fighting the guy instead of trying to take his damn head off. We have and have had perfectly acceptable routes of violence, why don't you use them? Second, second, let me make this clear. Morgan Riley was already playing pretty well through that game. He does not need to prove that he cared more than all the other players on the ice. If anything, what he needed to start doing was making up for some of the most atrocious defense on one clip in specific. 
Go look up the goal that Claude Giroux scored in that game. It's the 5-3 Ottawa Senators-Toronto Maple Leafs game. That goal that Claude Giroux scores features some of the most atrocious team defense, individual defense, defense in general that I have ever seen in my life. And I have seen a lot of bad defenses. I've watched a lot of Kraken hockey that gave me some bad feelings watching it. And that was worse than all of it. And I don't want to hear from Leafs fans about this. This is what you wanted, right? You want to be the tough team that starts shit? Guess what? That's part of it. Sometimes it blows up in your face. Sometimes your rival gets a big win on you and decides to showboat a little bit. Because they know you're prideful. Because they know the tough guys either don't care or care way too much. I said it in the season preview. It is abundantly clear that the people in charge of that team have actively lost their mind and have been gotten to. And that has just trickled its way down to the players and into the fans. It is not a tough organization. It's not a tough team. It is a gotten to team. It is a team that can be gotten to. Why else go after Ryan Reeves and Max Domi and Tyler Bertuzzi and maybe not Klingberg, but still, why anoint these players as the big tough guys that are finally going to get this team out of a hump when absolutely nobody who knows those players long term agreed that that was true? How is an offhand Tim Stutzla quote able to make its rounds for weeks after it's said if you're not gotten to? It's just a team that's trying way too hard to project strength and looking all the weaker for it. Hope you enjoyed that suspension, Morgan. My only regret is that the Leafs couldn't have had this meltdown when they last played the Kraken. Anyway, that's it for NHL news into women's hockey news. The PWHL has approved its first ever trade. The PWHL's Boston team decided that they were going to trade their 10th overall selection, Sophie Jakes, a defender, for another defender in Abby Cook, and a finish forward in Susanna Tampani, both players from the PWHL Minnesota squad. From what I can gather, this was very much a win-now move for Boston, who has a tie for third in the PWHL with New York and Toronto, but it's a lot shakier than you might expect. They have a winning record, but they have a bizarre scoring problem. Can't relate to that. They have a league-worst goals for in 17, uh, at least every other team has either 18 or well into the 20s now. And from what I can gather from replays, it looks like the straw that's stirring the drink for Boston is uh, that Alina Mueller character. She's a Swiss player. While it's pretty impressive, it's also a little bizarre that a team that has a bunch of Olympians whose names I recognize, who are just not playing to their potential? It's a little strange. Uh, if it goes on, I may have to actually sit down and write about it. Who knows? Either way, it looks like this is a kill two birds with one stone kind of trade. Get Sophie Jakes better opportunities in a system that might better help her. And Boston gets some potentially better goal scoring. I see that as a win-win. Still, that's your second round pick from this year, and you were playing them. I think if fans are a little skeptical of the decision-making process of the Boston team, I wouldn't be shocked. This, in my opinion, would never happen to the Seattle Vamps, or whatever it is that they decide to call themselves once they are finally back. Please bring women's hockey to Seattle. And that just about does it. Short episode, I know, but 
I'm sure once we have a full week's worth of games, I will either have plenty of good news to talk about, or I will mostly be screaming into this microphone and peeking it. So, that does it for this episode of Beneath the Frozen Sea. If you liked this podcast, you can go on ahead and go over to DavyJonesLockerRoom.com to check out our written content. And you can find us on Threads and Blue Sky and Twitter.com, I'm not calling it X, at DavyJonesLR where we live track games and then post the recap nearly right after. We also do previews, analysis, and news over on our main page. That does it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Sky once again. Keep calm and post Zoidberg when we win. And as always, go Rackets!